the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. The United States men's national team is most probably, probably, going to the World Cup after a 5-1 thrashing of Panama at home. Gus the Bus will be joining Lawless the Meat Truck in Commerce City, Colorado, and the Rapids are preparing for their first leg of the 2022 Rocky Mountain Cup against that club from down the mountain. I'm joined now by a man who has never slapped me in the face because of something I said about his wife, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Well, she has a luscious uh, set of hair, so there's never ever been an, an, a cause for that to go down. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, Mark. Um... Busy week and everything professional. We'll get to that in a in a minute for what that means for us over the uh, next couple of weeks. But I've enjoyed the international window. Uh, I thought the United States could have gotten their first ever win at the Azteca. I think it should have been Dos Cicero if we're talking about the key chances and the misses and what happened there. But uh, we wanted to see a response. I thought Christian Pulisic got CONCACAFI for the first time in his senior national team career. On top of that, the hat trick. All three of the frontline players included Jesus Ferreira and Paul Areola, who can be much maligned by USMNT Twitter because of where they play and the continent that they play on rather than being on the other side of the pond. But job done. Um, and hopefully the everybody effectively saying, yeah, we're going to the World Cup. There's nothing to worry about. And the team posing with the uh, banner that said qualified, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, folks, potentially Wednesday evening or on Thursday or later in the week. Um, this hasn't aged horribly, horribly, poorly, given the Kuva PTSD that I am still experiencing. Mark, what have you made of the international window and the United States men's national team's march to Qatar? In Yiddish, we say, Kanainahura poo poo poo, in order to ward off the evil eye. So I am with you. Um, talking about qualifying as a done deal is a terrifying idea. The team held up a banner that said qualified. And I was like, no, do not do that. Turn around three times, throw salt over your shoulder and spit or something like that. It was just... It was very frustrating. Um, yes, just to to clear the decks, mathematically, as far as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, Mattathias, um, the U.S. men's national team will qualify for Qatar as long as they get a win, a draw, or a loss by five by fewer than five goals. Right, six. If they lose by six, they're in, they might be in trouble. If they lose by six. If they lose by six, it's then Costa Rica would overcome them on goal difference, at which point the U.S. would finish fourth, and then they would have that one-game playoff in Qatar against either New Zealand or what's the other island nation that you're mentioning in there? Solomon Islands plays New Zealand tomorrow at 1 o'clock, and the idea that Solomon Islands would off New Zealand and then have to play the United States men's national team is a mind-blower, but stranger things have happened 
this U.S. men's national team has lost to bad soccer teams before. So let us not count the veritable chickens before they proverbially hatch. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you on that, Mark. But, you know, I'm still pretty confident. Oh, yeah. And I think Greg Berhalter's comments after the game saying we're going there to win the game, we're going there to try and get a result. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully there's been a fresh reminder. Maybe Berhalter has called in like Dempsey or one of the other players that just took that game in Kuva as a formality, as a as a lesson learned, you know, uh, heed the lessons from the past, ye yeah. USMNT, lest you repeat the future for not learning from the past but mark i'm talking about actual soccer i i uh, i missed the second game the panama game which was the good game uh because i was doing my taxes um like a good american uh and getting deeply rogered by the u.s uh, uh internal revenue service but um i did watch the mexico game and i thought the u.s put on a really good performance there they just were profligate in front of goal and they just couldn't finish and there were some really some really unfortunate uh kind of misses there but um really gave it to mexico really played very well and um apparently the mexican press did not think that mexico did a very good job of it um memo ochoa had a fantastic game if it were not for him um it would have been a two nil or a three nil u.s win so so you know that was that was a good thing and i think going for me matt um, qualifying is not notable, right? The minimum bar we need to f- pass is qualifying. Even getting out of the group is not enough for me, right? Like that is the the metric by which U.S. men's national teams have been judged up till now. For me, it's semifinals or bust. If we don't, you know, get out of the group and win our quarterfinal game, um, it wasn't a successful World Cup. I just want to get to that next phase, which means you've got to, you know, to beat a quarterfinal team, you've got to beat a good, good team. You've got to beat a Belgium. You've got to beat a Portugal. You've got to beat a Germany. You've got to beat a France. Like, you've got to beat a very, very good team. Um, but anyway, that's that's what I think we're at. The question is, do we have the horses? Have we shown, have we shown ourselves to be worthy in this um, CONCACAF qualifying of, of being a real threat for Qatar? And I would say absolutely they have been. I think they were, you know, the better team against uh, Mexico. I had, a, I had a tweet the other day, Mark, saying L tree, as in the letter L L L, and then tree. And so loss, 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 tie, because the T in tree stands for tie. Um, I was really, really looking forward to a quadruple L L tree, but oh unfortunately weren't able to get that. But you know, I, I think overall they've equipped themselves well. And keep in mind, a lot of this window has happened through injuries and other complications uh, that the national team and that Greg Berhalter is dealing with. And you're still dealing with a core group outside of Pulisic, DeAndre Edlin, the off start from. John Brooks guys who've never been through World Cup qualification. So, you know, Mark, you and I are both very detached from U.S. men's national team Twitter. I think there's a significant portion of that community in that space that only focuses on MLS and like passively pays attention to the European based players and then are just at best MLS agnostics and at worst think that you know Paul Ariola might as well be playing in like um I don't know the the, not even the English championship like English like league one in the third division because he's so bad because he hasn't played in Europe and thinking like you know like this is Brendan Aronson like the first time that he's played down in Konkiev we played a bunch of babies who all had less than 10 caps had never played in one of these competitions or 
in this environment because with the COVID structure and everything, we couldn't really travel abroad to play opponents. And then even then, from a financial standpoint, it just made too much sense for both federations to have the game in the United States. That was the first really difficult game they had. And, oh, it's a nil-nil against El Salvador. Why don't we beat them 5-1? You know, because Brendan Aronson has never had to go to Stoke on a Wednesday night and get scissor tackled and have it not even been called a foul and almost broken his ankle in a bit, you know, in the middle of a, you know, mud cow field in a torrential downpour. That level of adversity had to be built out. I think the U.S. has overall handled that really well. Uh, Gio Reyna's been hurt. Christian Pulisic's been hurt. Pulisic is in, I think, the best form and just emotional state he's been in with the national team and the club since, I would say, the Nations League of last year when he was coming off winning Champions League with Chelsea and then obviously lifting the Nations League trophy here in Denver, Colorado at mile high, scoring a penalty in extra time to help beat uh, Mexico. So I think it's all coming together. And to do all of this without Weston McKenney with Kellen Acosta playing well, um, I still think Sam Vine should have been called in over George Bellow. But um, ultimately, the, the first and the single most important thing that this group has to do that Greg Berhalter was hired specifically to do was to right the wrong of the failure five years ago in Kuva, and they have an excellent opportunity to do that on Wednesday. Um, and hopefully this does not really age poorly between you and me, Mark, to where people use these sound bites to ultimately troll us. But uh, let's move on. Uh, listeners, so I haven't told you this. Mark is aware of this. Um, the next couple weeks for us are going to be a little bit interesting. I am going to be out of the country. There was some concern with um, the state of the Beta Alpha variant and then also the visas and everything whether or not that was going to happen but it's officially happened um and so i will be out of the country and um from april 1st this coming friday through the 13th i will miss the rocky mountain cup game i will miss the away game in dallas and we're not really sure what that means for the podcast yet because i'm the main editor post management person i'm the main guy who runs things on blueberry we are set up to the point where mark can do that also my wi-fi connection isn't going to be regular on top of the time zone change and everything mark might do a solo pod next week he might try and get a guest i think it would be almost treasonous of us to not give you a post rocky mountain cup first leg reaction the odds of us podcasting that second week in april between the dallas game and the minnesota home game are extremely unlikely we will return to your normal services starting the week of april 17th but i wanted to let you know of that um i am going to somewhere that may or may not be soccer interesting so there may or may not be content either with last word or the Substack, possibly on the podcast related to that but we'll leave that as a mystery for now because some things are up in the air and best case scenario it'll be like a pleasant surprise that you know gets dropped in your feed folks at like 3 a.m colorado time mark let's get to the news of last week we were really poor in our podcast timing because we podcasted and then like literally a couple of hours later mark you and i became aware of news that was happening that then was confirmed in the morning that uh robin frazier has signed a four-year extension with the colorado rapids um that's a little weird folks in terms of the timing or in terms of the saying what counts as four years because his contract runs through the end of the 2025 mls season you would think if it's a contract extension he's with the rapids right now through 2023 2022 excuse me so then 23 24 25 would be three years i guess they're counting this year to me mark that would indicate probably a salary increase and a few other things to where this would be significantly a newer contract than what he would have been in under his existing 
final year of his contract in 2022. Borg Smith and Robin Frazier had some media availability. Robin talked a lot about culture and how he's built that up, but there's still much that you can do from that. He talked about how the project of this team is still in its infancy. There's much more that he can do tactically. They can do in terms of what they've done from the Rapids way and he being ready to implement that. This decision was an absolute no-brainer from Porrick Smith that, um, you know, took, uh, it was basically immediate buy-in from ownership and everything. Robin said that he feels like this is a project that he can commit to. Mark, I want to believe that's an indication that there's some promise to spend a little bit more money. And even if it's not three DPs on, you know, $3 million a year salaries and $5 million transfer fees, at the very least putting them in a position to have the tools and be competitive in ways that they haven't always been and certainly haven't been for much of Robin Frazier's uh, tenure. And Robin seems really, really excited and really, really committed to the club. And that was something that I think some of us, not without knowing inside what's going on in his head, but just kind of quietly thinking that, you know, he's coached better and done so much with so little. And maybe that's an indication that he could go somewhere else, get paid at a level that's um, befitting of the value that he brings and also and actually being given the tools to succeed in ways that maybe Jim Curtin was, you know, poignant in some of the things that he said throughout the media that was indicating, hey, Philly, pay me, and then also, like, give me some actual designated players other than Alejandro Bedoya. I've been talking for a lot. Mark, what was your reaction to the news that we got and ultimately everything that's come out since uh, Robin Frazier sticking with the Rapids through 2025? I don't have a lot of thoughts. I mean, it, it was it, it's a good move. I think four years is a little long in the sense that, like you know, I think uh, a lot of a lot of coaches don't don't really go beyond three year contracts. But um, yeah, I, it's it's. I don't think anybody in the Rapids universe questions whether uh, Robin Frazier has been good for this team. He's gotten really good results. He seems to be doing really well with players who, before Robin Frazier's time. A lot of us were kind of unsure of. Um, he helped to construct a team in his own image, um, and I don't think anybody thinks uh, in pundit land or amongst Rapids fans that the team he has is the strongest team in MLS. And yet they won the Western Conference last year. So um, I don't think there's any universe in which all Rapids fans do not rejoice in the fact that. Uh, Robin Frazier is back for a few more years. I think the only uh, argument we could make, and hopefully nobody in the front office listens to this podcast, some people in the front office probably listen to this podcast, um, uh, which is Robin doesn't give the best quotes in the world. He's a little dry. Um, and I'm not saying that I'd prefer to have a bad manager who's very entertaining over a good manager who's a little bit like, you know, um, cliche and straightforward. Um, but, you know, throw us a bone every once in a while, Robin. Maybe now that you've got a solid four-year contract and you're not worried about getting fired, you can say something a bit saucy, you know, like uh, the human spirit will triumph over stats every day of the week. Like something, maybe it doesn't have to be that poetic, but, you know, at least go off book a little bit. Yeah, um, a few things that I want to say, Mark. First of all, I have to imagine, Mark, you and I had both heard at the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm misremembering, if it was somebody else in the Rapids media, that Anthony Hudson was probably one of the lower, if not the lowest paid head coach in MLS at the time that he was hired. And I had kind of heard ballpark, it was somewhere between a million and 750k for 
the year. I haven't heard anything definitively on what Robin's initial deal was. I haven't heard anything on this. I have to imagine there is a noticeable pay rise as well. I think it's really easy to be committed and humbled and honored and want to give something back to the club when you're getting paid that much. I think certainly that was something that we might have had concerns about earlier when there were rumblings with the opening at Toronto. Was Robin going to go back there because of the financial opportunity, because of the time that he had spent in Toronto, um, and because of the obvious answer that they would probably be able to pay him a little bit more? And look, the Canadian, you know, getting paid more and then doing that on the Canadian dollar goes a little bit further. But, you know, so I think the club's taking care of him. I think, I think the question that I now have is, are they going to give him the tools to be a little bit more successful in ways that, um, you know, the, the Rapids are still very much limited? And then I think the, the next kind of thing that I have on that note where I think firmly he is committed to the Rapids is, um, you know, I asked him a question about the family side of things. And so for those of you who don't know, obviously, Robin started his um, career playing for the Foxes. Then obviously he played for the Rapids after he was at the Galaxy. I, I'd have to go back and look it, but I'm pretty sure he ended his career with Columbus Crew. In any case, um, he met his wife in Denver. Both of his daughters were born in the state of Colorado. Uh, Mark, he gave a really nice story. Robin was doing some coaching on the side with um, youth teams when he was both with the Foxes and then with the Rapids. Um, and then he actually um, he met someone who was a girl who he coached at the high school level who he had not physically seen in 20 years, probably hadn't had any correspondence in in almost a decade. She's married. She has a house. She has a job. She has two kids and everything. And then Robin has like a bunch of these other connections from his time at the Foxes, from his time coaching, from living in Denver and everything. There's a real sense of community here. And Mark, I think you had a point that initially when we uh, talked about on this podcast, Robin getting hired and like, you know, there's something about just, you know, understanding whether it's the understanding that East Colfax is better than West Colfax the local Mexican restaurant you go to get your green chili and then if you're a little bit turned around because you're trying to go somewhere for an appointment or something and you haven't been there before you know you look at the mountains you say okay that's west you know uh, right of the mountains is north uh, left of the mountains is south and everything I can figure it out Robin gets Denver Robin gets Colorado he wants to be here in ways that I would think certainly Pablo became that Robin became that. I don't know that other managers who didn't previously have a connection to the state, the city or the club, and who were not here as long had that same connection. So I think Robin wants to be here. You know, he wants to be a member of the Colorado Rapids in the same way that I think Jack Price wants to be a member of the Colorado Rapids. I think Jack wants to be a... I think this would have to require Wolves getting relegated probably for him to get an opportunity to get regular playing time. But, you know, Jack Price wanted to be here. And so I think they've recruited the right kind of players and the right kind of people who want to be here and are embracing that, embracing the Rapids way, hashtag keep fighting, all that things. Robin is the perfect manager for the Colorado Rapids. This is the most important signing for the Rapids this season. And I would include a potential future designated player striker. Let me say that again. This is the most important signing for the Colorado Rapids. If something happens to Jonathan Lewis, if they sell Mark Anthony Kay in the summer, those players are replaceable. The club has people and infrastructure and systems set in place to replace those. Robin Frazier is not dispensable. And I think the only person who you could argue is maybe more indispensable than him is Porrick Smith. And Robin wants to be here. He's now committed. We don't have to worry about his contract. We don't have to worry about him going for a bigger payday or going to another club. The only question that I have now is he feels that he's getting commitment and support from KSE. I would like to see that monetarily in terms of transfer fees going forward. 
Mark, on the notion of transfer fees, the Colorado Rapids have a new center back, Gustavo Viasia, formerly from FC Cincinnati. Mark, this caught me a little bit by surprise, given I hadn't, uh, we don't pay attention too much to FC Cincinnati, obviously, folks. And then uh, on top Why of would that, we? yes. And then on top of that, Mark, I think you could uh, add as well that, you know, oh, we're buying a center back who's potentially going to be the long-term replacement for Austin Trusty. What club did we get him from? FC Cincinnati and all the problems that they have. Um, but, uh, Mark, I had a conversation earlier today with Brian Weigel of Cincinnati Soccer Talk. We are going to run to that interview right now, and then Mark and I are going to talk about it afterwards. Listeners, we'll be right back. And we're back holding the high line with Rabbi and Red. My name is Matt Pollard, and we've got a very special breaking transfer segment coming up for you, talking all things Gustavo Viasia. To do that, I am joined by Cincy Soccer Talk's own Brian Weigel. Brian, hello. Hey, man. How are you? Glad. Thanks for having me on to, to talk about one of my uh, former favorite players. <laughs> no, thanks for thanks for having me. You know, certainly it's normally um, uh, listeners will know this. Normally, Rabbi and I record on Tuesday. And so that works OK if there's breaking news on Tuesday. And then if there's something on Monday, if we want to try and get a guest, we have to scramble a little bit. So I want to appreciate you for being a immediately ready and warmed up substitution by uh, podcasting timeline standards. So um, let's get Get into it, Gustavo Viasia, a center back uh, originally from Ecuador. I want to start with um, Rapids fans who may have only seen him play one game, maybe since <laughs> we don't play Cincy a whole lot. Uh, with how the last couple of years have gone, tell me about him generally as a player. I don't. I don't think that was a great game that you guys saw for for uh, Gus and, and and FC Cincinnati. I think you put a good old whooping on us that match. But uh, Gustavo Viasia, uh, what can you say about him? He he. He arrived in Cincinnati uh, coming out of, out of the p- pandemic last year. So he came, uh, you know, I guess he signed in, in March and, uh, and joined the team for that crazy window. Uh, unfortunately for him, uh, he came into a very difficult situation with literally no midfield in front of him and having to work out pretty much new, new, uh, you know, basically new pairings across that whole back line. I mean, you had Ma- Ronald Moderita come in on that left. Then you had Gustavo Vicia. Then you had Jeff Cameron again, coming in from, from England. And then you had Joe Jow who was right back, but not really a right back. So in 2021, some of his stats, you know, look decent. Like he was, he had a lot of tackles, but he was also dribbled by a lot. And, and I, it's kind of a misnomer because, you look at some stats and you're like amazing. Then you look at some stats and he's in the bottom quarter of the league. But I think some of that was a product that he had no help on those wingback roles and then nobody in front of him. Yeah, no, well said there, Brian. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. I was joking. I texted rabbi um, after the trade uh, happened and I was kind of thinking, you know, saying the, okay, you know, we're losing, I don't know how much you, you've been fighting attention to the Rapids, but uh, sure. Austin trustee is technically yes. a Arsenal player on loan for the Rapids. He will be gone in middle of July. I think there's 14 games left in the Rapids league season at that point. And there's a concern about what we're doing at center back with Abubakar Keda, who we got from uh, that team from up the road that we will not mention. 
Um, <laughs> and then the other two are kind of, it's a handful of unproven guys. And then Drew Moore, who's getting ready to turn 67 in a couple of minutes. Um, and so if you thought, okay, we're signing a guy, he's young potential from a country that clearly, and a continent that clearly the club is choosing to prioritize and everything. And oh, by the way, he coming from FC Cincinnati, that's kind of like a, hey, we just made a trade within the league for our new DP striker. And the guy's coming from the Colorado Rapids. I don't know if you want to, you, you said one of your former favorite players, talk me off the ledge, uh, off of what you just said about how sure. a guy who was on a team that historically isn't very good at center back, we're going to be okay. Well, let's stop you there with not good at center back. They were terrible in the midfield. And I think that was, that was the, the illness and the center back play was symptoms the, you know, it, it, they struggled because of, you know, the midfield and the wingbacks. Uh, that being said, most of these U22 players, the, the U22 roster mechanism for, for, for Gustavo, there's still works in progress. Uh, he was a former defensive midfielder as a youth player transitioning to center back. His time at FC Cincinnati was supposed to be grooming him into a international level center back. This guy has tremendous upside, but he's going to make some errors, especially if he doesn't have a good partner to, to his right in the center or a good left back next to him. I mean, he, he's, he is a quality player. Uh, his, his tangibles, his speed, his, his ability to possess the ball, his ability to pass the ball are great, but some of his metrics didn't look great just because, you know, when you have to pass the ball to Caleb Stanko and he immediately <laughs> turns the ball over, that's going to look bad on you. But I mean, you, you see some of his, like, uh, you know, he has, we had some stats for, for Cincinnati soccer talk where I think he was like, uh, it was a, uh, either a failed duel or a failed tackle that led to a shot creating action for the opposing team. Like he was towards the bottom of the league in that category. So he gave up a lot of opportunities, whether he was out of position or he was out of position because of a terrible turnover in the midfield, you know? So those metrics are, are, are very difficult, but overall, I mean, when he gets time, he's competent on the ball. He's going to be able to dribble out of pressure. And if you're willing to give this guy 20 games this year and 30 games next year, Lord willing, he remains healthy. I mean, you have a guy in my opinion, who could be one of the top 10 center backs in the league. It's kind of like the Frankie and my situation. We, we sold him for a million bucks to New York knowing, you know, he's still going to take time, but we need that, that, allocation money to help us start winning now we really don't have the i guess the patience to wait a couple of years for him to develop into a, a top level player mm -hmm. and you're the arc that you just kind of described i think is eerily similar to what austin trustee's gone through obviously coming away from philadelphia and then coming into colorado and Robin Frazier's one of the best center backs in the history of this league. And he has a very, very good track record with center backs. You mentioned allocation money, Brian. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, let's, uh, I, I'm afraid we're going to have to do some math here. Uh, rumored the deal with, um, Sociedad Deportiva Aus, if I'm pronouncing <laughs> that correctly, was right around a million dollars. Well, you know, let's, let's say for the sake of simplicity, 800 K in Garber bucks here in MLS cryptocurrency. And I know there's the performance metrics as well. And there's a few reports coming out that, um, Cincinnati would have amortized that transfer fee. So then Colorado's maybe assuming a chunk of that. And then there's a sell-on fee. You saw this move from a financial perspective. What did you immediately think? So Let's look at why Cincinnati had to make this move and why Colorado you know, was able to pull this off. To me, it's a great piece of business for both. Uh, FC Cincinnati was run by 
the Dutch Yopstam and general manager Gerard Nijkamp last year, who just spent money like, I mean, like it didn't exist. I mean, literally, like we we had like twelve international spots. We were we were buying international spots for two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand gam. We were bringing in all these high level players. Now you have Chris Albright, you have Pat Noonan that basically have to deconstruct this roster to rebuild it. I think almost every team in the league would like to hold on to Gus. I think FC Cincinnati in the long term probably would like to hold on to Gus, but to remake this roster, we had something had to give, whether it be one of the other two U22 players or Gustavo. And this deal makes sense. I mean, you have 400K, 400K GAM this year that we can go out and buy down somebody or bring in a player, 400 GAM next year to help, you know, get, we need pieces in Cincinnati, you know, in the midfield, in the striker, in the forwards, and, and everywhere else, really else. So you have 800,000 GAM. And also, basically now, Colorado's on the hook for half the transfer fee. So you, while Cincinnati's not hurting for money, you know, this is a good chunk of business for a guy you just bought for a million bucks. I mean, I don't think the allocation money is a one for one spend. Um, so in, in reality, I, I would look at this more if you're looking at dollars and cents, like almost Cincinnati almost doubled their investment in getting this, this deal back from Colorado. Uh, he's a good player. I think he's worth every penny to Colorado. And I think over time, when you guys sell him for five or 10, whatever million dollars you're going to, uh, it'll look like a good, good bit of business for both sides. No, that's a that's a really interesting point about kind of the difference of how the money's ultimately been allocated, how you can almost think of it as the Rapids really spending, you know, $1.2, $1.3 million. And, you know, I, you, you mentioned, you know, FC Cincinnati last year, you know, spending money like it didn't exist. You know, the Rapids have to spend money like it does not exist because it doesn't, you <laughs> well, know, it doesn't. <clears throat> but, cr- but credit to your ownership group. I mean, they just wrote a half million dollar transfer fee check. Yes. For that, that- and. And they don't do that lightly. And when they yeah. normally have done that in the past, that's been a good indication. And so, you know, yeah. everything, and I know this is a little bit off topic, you know, but everything that I've heard about Max internally within the organization, when they were recruiting him, every single person along the step that had some say in the acquisition of Max said this mm-hmm. was absolutely worth it. And so this is sure. similarly in that vein. And I'm kind of curious with the stat stuff that they built out in the recruiting. This wasn't just a, hey, let's look at a guy who... Uh, we have some domestic film on maybe he went, they went back and they looked back on what he did in Ecuador. Um, but sure. so I can, um, uh, Brian, I want to touch on, obviously the Colorado Rapids are aspiring to again, be the set piece Kings of major league soccer. Um, <laughs> Gus has a few goals this season. He did score on a set piece in that wild five, four game against Montreal. You've mentioned he maybe has some issues defensively or defensive reaction wise, decent in passing. So maybe I'm inclined to think he's closer to a lawless Bubba card than a Danny Wilson. What can you tell me about what he does in the air on set pieces in the attack and defending. Sure. Well, he's, he's a very smart player uh, when he gets in situations where he has time and space to make good decisions. Uh, he can, he, he's literally, there's times where he's carried the ball up the field and, and helped contribute into the attack. And then on set pieces, he's a, a very good mark as well as, you know, offensively. I mean, he's, he's a force. He's very athletic, very quick uh, to, 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 to really make some impacts there. Is he the best defender in the air? No, but I think he should be probably towards maybe the top third in the league. I mean, it just all depends. Cincinnati, it's so tough to evaluate him because our, we didn't really have a style. It was literally Yopstom throwing out the same 
14 guys over the span of 30 games and then everybody getting exhausted. You saw, you saw him get hurt last year and continue kind of with that knock earlier in this preseason. Um, I think he's going to be the type of player that you're just like, you're going to see him in one game be like, Holy cow, this guy's like incredible. He's going to start for Ecuador. And then the next game you're going to be like, what the hell, what the hell are you thinking, man? (laughs) But he's young. He's young. I mean, 21, whatever it is now. And, uh, I, tremendous upside. I mean, I, I think it, a lot of like, I think there's several other, uh, you know, Colorado affiliated people out there that were just like in their DMS, they're like, you know, or, you know, broadcasting in their that they got DMS from FC Cincinnati fans. Like you guys just got to steal. Like you got a great player who is very dynamic, but you just got to give them the opportunity and have a little patience. Mm-hmm. Culture is a big part here at the Colorado Rapids, and increasingly they've been cultivating the South American flair within the club. Brian Galvan's come in. They've got a couple of Brazilians, if we're counting Andre Shinyashiki, <clears throat> as well as Max. Um, and then, um, you know, the coaches have started to learn Spanish. Uh, Worldy Harris, I don't know if you remember him, he's fluent in Spanish. And so there's a little bit of a, uh, the internal, the uh, uh, joke or the internal nickname for their click that they have in a good way is Los Locos de los Rapids. Uh, FC Cincinnati has their own kind of flair you obviously have Barriel who's Argentinian I think there's Venezuelan on the team and then even though they've he's been here for a while Lucho um, Mm -hmm. you know obviously is Argentinian what sense did you have that you know Gus was well integrated within the team how much was he maybe only interacting with some of the other Spanish players did he have real genuine relationships with the American center backs he was partnered with that's a good question. Um, you know, with COVID and everything, we don't have the same access last year that we do, you know, even more this year. Uh, but you can see, you just check out his Instagrams and the, the amount of camaraderie you see uh, around and after the games. Uh, I think he was well-liked. I think you, he's definitely sad to see a guy like that go. Certainly not an issue in the locker room that we've, we've heard in, in Cincinnati soccer with, with Cincinnati. So I think you're going to be safe. Again, he's a young player. He's going to a new a new environment, so there needs to be time to adapt. Uh, but fortunately, he had a, a very tough uh, character building year in Cincinnati. <laughs> that I think he'll be glad to to see uh, to be a part of a winning side uh, in twenty twenty two. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the adversity that builds up calluses that I think he's he'll be ready for hashtag keep fighting in that regard. Uh, sure. Brian, last question that I have uh, completely unrelated to Gus, but Rapids fans are always curious how their former players are doing. Uh, we were so happy to see Don Baji return to the club last year. <laughs> he was fantastic. And then obviously he left. I know we haven't gotten the um, salary numbers left, but I assume that the reasons Quite that he made were understandable from a financial standpoint, but you know, Dom's gotten some playing time. Uh, how's he been so far for FCC. Yeah, I think you're right. He got some cheddar. Um, in Cincinnati, I think he has contributed to the rise of Brandon Vasquez. I think Don Baji makes some incredible runs. Uh, he's very dynamic in in how he can connect with other players, and he's not at, he's not being asked to be that out and out striker, the guy leading the line. He's asking to to be a contributor contributor to that guy. So far, he's outplayed the $13 million Brenner, and he's taken Brenner's spot on the field, and that's saying something. Uh, Brenner, of course, you know, he was out, and in, in kind of, you said the, the name earlier, Alvaro Barrial, another one of our, our highly thought of U22 players. They were both out trying to get green cards. This, this whole process of 
uh, Chris Albright trying to remake the roster with domestic players. So getting green cards and getting guys who know how to play in the league. I think Dom has done a fantastic job so far. I think he probably will see less and less playing time as Brenner comes on, but um, has had a great assist. He's really helped change. I think the culture of that strike line and, you know, if, if he gets, a, you know, five goals this year, but he can continue to keep doing what he's doing, I think he's worth every single penny in changing how FC Cincinnati operates uh, within the league. Excellent stuff, Brian. Uh, you know, Dom, obviously, I don't know how much you've dug into his story and everything, but, you know, coming up from Senegal and his path to getting the United States and BU and being a fourth round super draft uh, pick and everything, you know, he is still beloved for me amongst uh, the Rapids community. So we're rooting for him. So, uh, you know, we, we'd be totally fine with, you know, him and Diego Rubio finishing one and two in the golden boot. Just hopefully he doesn't score against the Rapids uh, later this year. But uh, listeners, if you like what you heard, you can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Weigel, Brian with a Y and then W. E-I-G-E-L on the last name and check out all of his content at Cincinnati Soccer Talk, their podcast, their website, their whole conglomeration, just like holding the high line is. I will link in our show notes, folks, the excellent article that he had on uh, Gus if you want a little bit further homework and reading on that. Brian, thank you much, so much for joining me. Absolutely. And uh, take care of our take care of our, uh, our boy Gus out there in Colorado and and uh, make sure to cheer him on because he's, he's definitely somebody that we're going to be rooting for from the Eastern Conference. And we're back holding the high line with Rabbi and Red. My name is Matt Pollard, joined once again by Rabbi Mark Goodman. So, Mark, let's go through the actual details again for our listeners on the newest member of the Colorado Rapids, Gustavo Viasia, who was on loan with FC Cincinnati last season and then was purchased for an option that's been reported to be about a million dollars that was amortized for the club so the rapids are uh, as brian went and i went through on on the math or on the hook for a little bit of that but in terms of this mls transaction it's four hundred thousand dollars in 2022 gam 400k in 2023 gam uh there's an additional performance incentive bonus that could go up to 50k in gam for fc cincinnati that is likely either minutes played or appearances or connected to the team making the playoffs or something like that we know that viasia will occupy a u22 player slot in addition to max alves and Lucas Estevez. So there was some rumblings about whether or not he was going to be a DP because of the transfer fee. That is not happening, folks. For those who want a reference point in 2021, his guaranteed compensation, albeit as a lone player from outside the league, uh, was a little over $280,000. We haven't yet gotten that number. I'd be shocked if that number was significant, if it was significantly more than that. Um, He's an Equatorian center back listed at six foot two. Um, originally from Deportivo uh, Cuenzo, and then he was at uh, Sociedad Deportivo uh, Cusa, and then obviously had a couple loan spells. Uh, Mark, there's a little bit of a fun joke. So uh, Gus was on loan at Barcelona SC, which is the Ecuadorian club Barcelona. So this would be like, oh, we got a player from Rapid and you got it confused between Colorado Rapids and Rapid Vienna. So no, the Rapids are not signing a center back from Barcelona. And then obviously he was alone at FC Cincinnati. And then now he is a member of the Colorado Rapids. Mark, if we look at the math between the GAM and then also potentially taking on a chunk of that amortized transfer fee from FC Cincinnati on top of the sell-on clause, one could easily make an argument this was a, mathematically, this was an acquisition on par with 
Mark Anthony K and was a more expensive acquisition in terms of money shelled out by the club than the acquisition of Max Alves. Uh, you top that up with what the things that Brian said about his passing ability. He's still a little bit of work in progress. This looks like Ecuadorian Austin Trusty from a few years ago, Mark. You top that up on the fact that when Cincinnati was playing in a back three, es- uh, Estevez Biasino was normally playing at the left center back role. If you just look at the amount of money they've spent to acquire this player, this is the guy that they believe is the replacement for Austin Trusty. Rabbi, your thoughts on everything. It's a necessary acquisition considering the injury to Abubakar Keita and the pending um, uh, loan of um, Austin Trusty to Arsenal. There's just a hole at center back. And, you know, the, the best option they probably have is to slot Keegan Rosenberry over and put Stephen Betashore there. But that assumes that Stephen Betashore is going to continue to perform at a high level at right back. It assumes that, um, you know, Keegan Rosenberry is really comfortable at center back, which I think he is, but, um, you know, you want to, you want to kind of have some other options there, but there's just not a lot of depth. And I think one of the things that I learned, and I said it in um, Backpass today, which you should go read if you didn't get a chance, um, is that I think one of the things that this move surprised me about was that it kind of spells that the club doesn't have a lot of confidence in Michael Edwards being ready to just step in and back up. I mean, we're not even asking him to play because if, if Rosenberry was going to slide over then um, to, to fill in now when trusty goes away, then um, you would, you wouldn't need Edward to actually Edwards to actually play. You would just need Edwards to be available. Um, you know, in the event that you had one or two injuries, you'd have drew Moore and then you'd have Michael Edwards. But apparently the team doesn't feel confident enough in Michael Edwards, I think, um, yet. So um, I think the other thing that we, we learn about this is the additional lack of depth at Rapids 2 at center back. Um, you know, the... Uh, and then the other thing is, um, I, I did think this was a, this was a bit of a big spend. I do think that GAM and outside of the league money are not... Exchange, ex- immediately interchangeable um and i explained that also in backpass a little bit but but overwhelmingly like yeah this was definitely a little out of left field um you know i am not paying attention to uh east eastern conference backup center backs and i think that that's <laughs> normal um i think once the league went beyond 20 teams or 22 teams it is now 27 it's just unrealistic for any non-full-time soccer pundit professional to have a grip on both conferences at the same time. Um, Even the guys at Extra Time do a great job of covering the whole league and their brains are like giant sponges and I don't know how they retain all the information, but even they don't seem to have a full grip on both conferences all the way down the death chart all the time. And that that's normal. That's called the human brain can only memorize so much semi-useful information. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very, um, kind of hopeful that this move will pan out that, it, you know, that the, the, um, scouting department of the Colorado Rapids did their due diligence, looked around the league, saw guys said, here's a guy that we can get for GAM that we already have. Um, the deal that we can make is probably not going to hit our bottom line. I mean, splitting the GAM hit between two separate years of 400,000 apiece. Um, and also knowing that the Rapids probably had a bunch of GAM on 
hand and that gam doesn't roll over from year to year um all of that is is kind of important uh information here they decided to spend this money on this guy and not this money on some other guy in the league um and i i feel i feel like it'll probably be you know either negligible we, we won't see this guy play a lot of minutes and when three years we'll forget that he was ever on the team at all or maybe he'll he'll pan out and be you know a really lovely um player the only last thought i had matt is it made me a tiny bit sad that we didn't keep court Ford around. I mean, he got a start last week for sporting Kansas city. And I think, um, the notion that we've had a lot of bad luck trying to bring in center backs, um, one to the same injury that court Ford underwent and another who we're just not sure about whether he's all set to go. Meanwhile, sporting Kansas city is taking our, you know, leftovers and making a yummy meal out of it. Um, it makes me a little bit sad, but you know, I mean, time, time passes, things go forward. Sometimes the best move for a player is to move on and try their luck somewhere else. So I kind of get it. Yeah, I think this I think this move and particularly the amount that they spent clearly showed that internally there wasn't going to be a long term answer at center back. You know, could you patch it together with playing a back four and then you just have Lawless and Danny Wilson back there and then Drew Moore coming in a couple times. But, you know, I think it was pretty clear you were going to have a significant drop off with Austin Trusty's departure and you needed to get somebody who could grow into that role in the same way that Trusty grew into that role between 2020 and then 2022 coming to the Rapids. And I think they've got that guy. Uh, you have a guy who uh, every single center back who's worked at the Rapids under Robin Frazier has gotten better. Even the ones who have gotten older, even Drew Moore, you know, Mark, who uh, you reported, you know, I guess is now uh, 2000 going on 2001 years old in back pass this week. You know, even he's gotten better as well. So I think this is another young prospect. You look at the amount of money that they spent. This is clearly somebody who they rate. And, you know, Mark, going back to the conversation I had on the pod uh, maybe about a month ago with Chris Ditterbard about kind of how they built things out to have a comprehensive scouting network and then the database of players and analytics and statistics about Brazil. I have some reason to believe, folks, that that's maybe happened in other countries in South America, maybe including but not limited to uh, Gus's home country of Ecuador. And I wouldn't be I, I would almost be shocked if this was a decision made exclusively on data and film and scouting of what um, Viasia did in MLS last year and not also looking back at his time in Ecuador and juxtaposing that with um, the other leagues in South America and just similar things that they've noticed about young players coming up from that country. Uh, I think he's going to walk in. I think he's going to have a lot of familiarity. Obviously, Mark, uh, the goalkeeper in front of him is fluent in Spanish. He's obviously been in MLS now for a second year, so I would assume he uh, at least speaks some broken English. Uh, and Mark, it would not be shocked for me at all if uh, a month from now he is officially inducted as the newest member of Los Locos de los Rapids. Rabbi, anything else that we want to say about Gustavo Viasino, or shall we move on to Rapidos? Rapidos, baby. All right, so Mark, let's start with um, Rapidos, Rapids 2, who um, in part overlapping 
with the USMNT Panama game, got a 1-1 result and then ultimately winning it in penalties. So I don't know if you've noticed this, Mark, with MLS Next Pro, they're taking a page out of uh, hockey in the NHL's book where it's not just a tie and then they go to overtime or they go to the shootout and then ultimately a team gets two points. So you could win in 90 minutes and get three. You could win in the shootout and get two. You could lose in the shootout and get one. You could lose in 90 minutes and get zero points. So um, Colorado Rapids uh, played to a 1-1 draw with Sporting Kansas City 2. Uh, Japanese midfielder Yokusa Han- Hanya uh, scored the goal. And then, uh, Mark, it was A. Rodriguez coming up with two big penalty saves at the DU Soccer Stadium to ultimately get the result for Rapidos. Uh, Mark, really good to see that happen. A lot of familiar faces in terms of homegrowns. We'll talk signings in general, but I, I think we have a better idea of what Rapidos is capable of doing, Mark, and I think it's nice to see that uh, in the first game, it was a player who needed minutes in Abrod. Showing up big and a new player who the Rapids are taking a chance on in Hanya also showing up as well. Yeah, um, that's it's great to hear. Um, obviously, I didn't get to be at the game. And from what I hear, the uh, the video stream was not very high quality. So, um, you know, like we're get we're getting some run. The guys are getting a chance. Um, it was a little surprising to see a guy I'd never heard of get a goal for a team that uh, that I was always hoping that I'd uh get to see you know kind of in the in the flesh this whole idea of uh of a a proper rapids reserve team it's kind of the dream man i've always i've always wanted to see it i hope this summer if i come into colorado there'll be a a day when i can catch both teams over the weekend and i don't know what the plan is for how the all the matches shake out i haven't looked at the schedule matt but my assumption is that most of the games will be you know sunday right like the idea being um, you know, we want to see who doesn't play on Saturday and give them some run on Sunday. And then also the idea probably being we'll play the reserve team from the team that's in town if they're visiting the Rapids, right? Is that basically the idea? Um, I think the schedule is a little bit different because obviously you have uh, Rochester Rhinos or what are they? I think they, I think they're just Rochester FC. Mark, rest in peace, Rhinos. Like, I'm <laughs> sorry, Jamie Vardy. What were you thinking? You made me so sad as a fan of um, 90s, um, not USL, ASL, if we're talking about the Rochester Raging Rhinos, which nice. is probably the greatest name for a soccer team in United States history, other than maybe Bethlehem Steel. But <clears throat> so I think the schedule's a little bit, I mean, you're, it, it's point taken, Mark, that the um, the MLS Next Pro schedule is going, is structured in a way that respects the MLS first team schedule and then also leaves flexibility for things to change uh, based on that. But on that note, Mark, let's talk about player signings. Um, Rapids 2 signed 18 players last week before we had recorded. So um, they had four just on the roster, Mark. And so now I guess that's gone up to 22. And that's included 11 players or 10 players who have signed amateur contracts. I won't go down the entire list, Mark. It's a lot of homegrown guys that um, you and maybe people who've attended U20 training and matches would be familiar with on your spreadsheet. The big one for me is Daniel Garcia, who uh, had some moments in uh, preseason in training against first team players and who at least I've heard from a couple of um, people within the club. They're pretty high on. They see as kind of like a Danny Wilson style um, center back player potential in terms of a ball playing center back. But you can look at the whole list at rapids2.com if you really want or coloradorapids.com folks, uh, coloradorapids.com. 
backslash Rapids2. Uh, and then they also officially signed um, pretty much all of the homegrowns uh, from the first team, folks. It's eight players. So it's Sebastian Anderson, Mike Edwards, uh, Anthony Markanich, Jackson Travis, who just signed recently for the first team, Philip Mayaka, Adama Traore, Darren Yappi, and then Abrod. If I'm not mistaken, Mark, I think that's every single homegrown since I don't think Austin Trusty counts as a homegrown anymore. And then you top that off with the two last big draft picks, Anthony Markanich, the only draftee that the Rapids signed to a first-team contract, and then Philip Mayaka as well. Mark, I think we have a pretty good idea now what Rapids 2 is going to be, which is it's playing time opportunity for the homegrowns and the young players who are likely on the outside looking in in terms of the first team, and it's better to not have them. It's better to have them playing 90 minutes and be completely out of the first team for their development than necessarily to have them on the bench at best get them 20 minutes and possibly not even use them. Um, and then it's also an opportunity for a bunch of academy kids who the club has um, highlighted as a real path to pro that have a future but still are raw and need some competitive minutes in a competitive, somewhat senior-ish opportunity playing against other homegrowns and then maybe even other um you know, journeyman-like players rather than just playing against kids their own age. Mark, what do we make of now the much more clear vision of what Rapids 2 is going to be in 2022? It's it's more or less what I expected. Um, it's it's a reserve team filled out. It, it's it's our it's our players who didn't make the 18 uh, filled out with some academy players, then some, like, hangers-on that hope to make the team, hope to make an MLS career or a USL career somewhere down the line. But, like... I don't know. I mean, I think I, I'm still not sure why this and I don't want to go on about it too long because we got to get out of here. But I, I'm still not sure at this point and it will see by the end of the season and maybe even next season. But I'm still not sure why this would have been a better idea than putting the all of the academy, all of the reserve teams in USL one, um, because I think a lot of those teams uh, would have been a good draw. They would have competed at a, at a higher level. Um, it would have been a good a good challenge for them. So I think that's my only concern, which is like the level of talent is really variable. You know, there are some guys who are definitely going to be in MLS in a year or two. There are some guys who are never going to be of significant soccer and quality um, in the near future. Listeners, this coming Saturday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, the Colorado Rapids will be hosting Real Salt Lake at Dick Sporting Goods Park in Commerce City, Colorado. Uh, the Colorado Rapids currently find themselves sixth in the Western Conference. We are 434th through the Rapids season. That reduces down to 217th. They have seven points off of four games played, a record of 2-1-1, one, and, one, and a goal difference of plus two. Real Salt Lake currently find themselves in second in the Western Conference on 10 points, albeit with one more game played. They're on five games played, a record of three, one, and one. They did just come off of the international break window when they played at Sporting Kansas City and lost by a score of one to nil. So they are coming off their first loss of the calendar year. And they have a goal difference as well of plus two. Uh, Mark, some familiar faces for the most part with uh, Real Salt Lake. Bobby Wood has been their main striker, though we've seen a little bit of rotation at the front spot. Justin Miram, who was a longtime Columbus Crew player. Um, Paul Ruiz has kind of taken over that main midfield role alongside Scott Caldwell with the uh, departure of 
Kyle Beckerman. Um, and then it's been a little bit of rotation recently, possibly due to some injuries at the center back role. Justin Glad, obviously the um, main center back for them at times in the past, a American international, but Johan Kappelhoff has been in there. Um, Holt has been in there. Uh, Marco uh, Matias Silva, Marco Silva. Um, has been in there as well. Um, and there has been an injury recently to Aaron Herrera, who's kind of their big key defensive player as a outside back wing back role. Haven't heard whether or not um, he's back to 90 minutes fitness. And then David Ochoa has been dealing with an injury a little bit in preseason. So former Colorado Rapids Zach McMath has been in goal. And then, of course, the um, uh, Real Salt Lake are coached by legend and the only player with a retired number, Pablo Mastroeni. Mark, what have we seen so far in the season from Real Salt Lake? What do we see from them as a team? Um, I do not like playing Real Salt Lake. <laughs> I find them, I find the games don't seem to have anything to do with whether Real is having a good year or a bad year. They just play us better. And I think I've said this on past podcasts. So apologies if you're tuning in uh, and hearing me say the same things year after year after year. I do still think, though, that these games mean more um, in than, than just kind of like how good is our team and how well are we playing. We tend to play worse against Salt Lake than, than other teams. I, you know, I think that they have started off the season really, really well. You know, three wins, one draw, one loss. Um, six goals, four, four goals allowed in five games. Um, they're a very solid team top to bottom. There are just a lot of really good players or players who are young, who are showing up and are doing well. Um, I haven't really seen what Pablo Mastroeni is really kind of doing with this, um, with this team. I, you know, the, the knock on Pablo is that he was always a very defensive coach um, and that he didn't really understand how to get the most out of the attackers. He just kind of figured good soccer players will figure out a way to score. My job is to make sure that we tighten up and nobody ever scores on us. Um, and that got old really quick, I think. Um, but, you know, they're 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 definitely a different team now. That they don't have Russ Snack on the team. Um, it's going to be an interesting question to figure out how Demir Krylach does what he does at the level that he's been doing it at without some of the support that he's had. Bobby Wood has had a really nice start, but he was really mediocre last year. Um, one other note that I just want to throw out here, there are two former Pittsburgh dudes on this team. Um, they're not likely to see the field, though. Jasper Lofelson was the right back. I think he was a right back. Um, for um, for the Pitt Panthers men's soccer team. I thought he was their best player um, year in, year out for the last couple of years. He was a graduate student the last couple of years. I think he's 24 years old, uh, German international, wonderful, wonderful player. Um, I don't think we're, you would expect to see um, another guy who plays as a wingback or as a fullback coming into this game. So you won't actually see him, but but he's a lovely, lovely player. Um, and additionally, off the bench, potentially deep, 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 is Tomas Gomez, who was the Riverhounds backup goalkeeper or starting goalkeeper um, two seasons ago. So that's always fun. But, you know, they're going to start with Davido Chos hurt. So it's going to be Zach McMath, almost certainly in goal um, to start this game. Another guy that Rapids fans are 
are very familiar with. And McMath has not evolved uh, much over the last couple of years. Um, he's a good shot stopper, um, a capable distributor, um, but he is still prone to occasional errors, um, especially playing out of the back, I think. And so that is uh, a thing that the Rapids may want to take advantage of, which is just pressuring in the deep end and see if they can't get something um, out of that. Um, just, uh, Justin Glad moves the ball forward very well, but the rest of that back line is either young or untested or not really well known as distributors. So there's potential here if the Rapids kind of want to want to try and put on the full court press. Mm-hmm. A lot of good stuff there, Mark. Just a few uh, little tidbits and notes. You mentioned Demir Krylich. He hasn't been starting. I haven't seen an indication that uh, he maybe he was dealing with an injury in preseason, but he's mostly been coming off a be- off the bench. Interesting. Um, uh, and then I, I did mess up Silva, the center back's uh, first name. His first name is Marcelo. Uh, Marcelo, I apologize to you. And then one other player we haven't mentioned, Mark, who I would argue is almost the um, Brian Galvan of Real Salt Lake, is Mikael Chang, who's been a center forward a little bit. He's been a little bit of a, a wide player um, when they play, when Pablo was having them last year play in the 3-4-2-1. He was often the underneath guy and would sometime rotate and exchange. With Bobby Wooden, he can be a little bit of a, a tricky player, a Cuban international. So he's one who I've kind of had my eye on as well, who's been a nice little pickup as well. You mentioned, um, you know, Pablo there, Mark, who mostly last year and this year as well, is playing a 3-4-2-1 that I think really shows an evolution of his understanding from a tactical standpoint and also shows that it's a good mix of what he believes and thinks is important in soccer and then also understanding the pieces that he has in front of him. He has a couple of capable and mobile players at the back who can play center back that still provide that defensive stability. Obviously, he likes having numbers um, in the middle of the park, especially in midfield, so that's where having the four is important. And there's actually, um, you know, he's given freedom to his attacking players to actually do things in ways that maybe it was a little bit more for restrictive for basically anybody other than Marlon Hairston on the wing and then Dom Baji, uh, you know, being the channel runner up top. So I really think, you know, now that we're looking at it, especially if RSL is capable of having a good season and I did not have them as a playoff team this year. I think you lose Albert Rusnak and, you know, and you don't immediately replace him, but new ownership coming in, maybe they spend some money in the summer. It's not like they had a terrible team. If they make the playoffs again, and if Pablo continues to improve as a head coach, I think we can comfortably say, Mark, like all parties involved won the divorce. The Rapids needed to move away and Pablo wasn't ready to be the coach that they needed. It wasn't exactly a linear path in terms of the Rapids getting to where they are now with the Rapids way. And Pablo went somewhere else. He went to Houston and he learned and he improved on his craft, you know, got an opportunity and he's done a lot with it that I honestly have been really impressed with. So I'm really excited to see what this looks like. That being said, um, you know, uh, RSL did play a flat 4-4-2 with a couple of players out uh, against Sporting Kansas City. They did lose that. So there's still a level of Pablo choosing to be pragmatic where it suits them. And I think certainly maybe it's the squad rotation, maybe it's injuries. But, you know, I think without having Aaron Herrera back, I think that limits what they can do in the 3-4-2-1. And then obviously, if you're going to have two, if you want a guy who's going to be an underneath, almost false nine, at times center striker, at time box-to-box midfielder, you need Demir Krylach back. So I still think that this team is very much a work in progress because of um, not having their first choice 
uh, 11 going back to last year fully available and starting game in and game out going 90 minutes and everything. So that means that uh, Pablo could be a little bit pragmatic. We could see a little bit of squad rotation. They could be a little bit more defensive. Pablo might be thinking this more in terms of I. it's a road game early on in the season. You know, I need to just get a point rather than thinking about this from a Rocky Mountain Cup perspective. But I think it's going to be an interesting game. Two weeks back for the Rapids team fully healthy. I would expect Lucas Estevez to be back with the team in in the starting lineup. Obviously, Danny Wilson will be back. Um, and you know, I think we I think the Rapids learned a lesson that was necessary early on against Houston. I think they'll be looking to improve upon that. And I think ultimately it's going to come down to who presses the opponent well um, to create opportunities in transition. Who plays well playing out of the back? Something that. RSL at times has tried to do, but it's not their priority. I think increasingly it's something that Robin wants to be their priority rather than pressing the opponent. And look, Mark, we have to talk about set pieces um, with what the Rapids have been able to do. And certainly if uh, Justin Glad isn't in there and what you've mentioned about Zach McMath and some of his limitations, I think it'll be an opportunity for the Rapids there. Um, two other notes that I kind of have, Mark. I'm kind of curious. Do we see a little bit more of a KG, Mark Anthony K? I don't know how we took this long to mention it, but he was ultimately unavailable for the game that Canada won against Jamaica to qualify for the World Cup due to a, Mark, we can comfortably say bogus red card um, down in Costa Rica. Yes? I think the second yellow was soft, but I don't. I also think that, like, it, it's really important to uh, be walk on eggshells after you have that first yellow. But yeah. Nobody really liked that call. Yeah, so I'm curious to see, you know, Brian Acosta, who I think has played well so far in the two games for Honduras. Obviously, they're, um, you know, they're playing for nothing at this point. Um, I think it's mathematically, I'd have to check the table, but I think it's now mathematically impossible. They will finish bottom of the octagonal, but he's with the national team. He's been playing games regularly, where obviously the rest of uh, his team has just been training out um uh, at Commerce City, so I think he'll come back certainly fit and ready to go, and I think Mark Anthony K might come in again with a chip on his shoulder ready to prove something. So I think the Rapids will be in a good headspace and have had a good two weeks off to kind of prepare and be better for this, and we'll see what RSL looks like, as I mentioned earlier, with their lineup and what they're looking like early on in the season, um, you know, a little bit work in progress. Uh, Mark, do we want it? <laughs> on paper, I feel like this should be a Rapids win, but I still have a lot of Rocky Mountain Cup PTSD, Mark. And to your point of RSL plays their best game when they're against the Colorado Rapids. And the Rapids always seem to not be at their best or as good as they're capable of being when they come up against RSL. So maybe, Mark, I'm going to jinx it by predicting what I think it's going to be. And in doing so, I'll compel the MLS scriptwriters to give us what we actually want. But what I incorrectly predicted, I'm going to say a 1-1 draw on this. I never know. So let's say the universe is unfair again and RSL beats us three to nothing. <sighs> well, <laughs> that that would be that would be extremely disappointing. Um, Two kind of things that I want to finish off. Uh, Mark, how do we feel about Pablo at this point? I'm at the point where, you know, I want him to be happy. I want him to be successful. He's a good person. He was a good steward of the club. He's a fantastic interview, by the way. He's been great when I've spoken to him, both with the Rapids and then in Houston and then now with Real Salt Lake. As I mentioned earlier, I think he's learned from what he did well and what he didn't do well with the Colorado Rapids. I think ultimately he was better for it, being dismissed and ultimately broken up by his club for the second time, referring to the first breakup would have been when he was traded from the LA Galaxy and didn't get to retire as a member of the Rapids, and then ultimately getting his dream job in retirement as a player, coaching the Rapids, and having that ultimately being 
unsuccessful. I don't necessarily see him as a traitor because the Rapids are the one that broke up with him. And I think he's looking for the best opportunity that he has. And I think this is clearly the best opportunity. You know, why would you be, okay, you don't want your ex to get with your enemy, but at the same time, when they provide the best opportunity for him that you couldn't provide or weren't willing to be patient with, I, I don't know that you can be mad at you breaking up with someone and then them getting in another relationship and it's them living their best life. So I don't necessarily call him a traitor just because of that point, because I think the Rapids were the first one to break that trust in training him as a player and then firing him him as a head coach. But I still think there's a lot of people in the Rapids community who still feel really, really weird about watching this rivalry and seeing their guy, the guy who, if anybody deserves a statue outside Dick's Sporting Goods Park, it's the guy who's now the head coach of your biggest rival. Um, I, I'm with you, more or less. I, I just don't think... People take different jobs at different places and holding a grudge is dumb. It just, you know, like, he learned... He uh, he grew with the Rapids. It didn't work out. He moved on. I think you said it really well. Like um, it's time to just basically applaud Pablo Mastroeni, um, root against his team, and um, and and just accept that the MLS ecosystem is big enough for everybody to have a job, and for to for them to have also worked for lots of different teams at some point. Mark, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about Rapidose. Uh, I think it was a pretty much no-brainer that if they weren't going to be on site in Commerce City, either at one of the practice fields or actually in the stadium at DSG, that I think DU is the one that makes the most sense. It's the closest for most of your fan base. I think it's the right size in terms of a venue. It is a turf pitch. Make of that what you will. But um, I think it's a nice setup. Um, I'm most happy with it. And obviously, it's what a uh, not even, barely a 15-minute drive, assuming there's no traffic on I-25 south for me. Uh, Mark, what do we make of that? Um, and ultimately, uh, Rapids 2 playing at DU Soccer Stadium that has a lot of relevance within soccer in the front range um, and in a venue that uh, seats 22,000 people. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful stadium. I, I also posted on Twitter that I thought the concessions food was better and someone else was like, the concessions food's terrible. I'm like, well, it can't be worse than Dick's Sporting Goods then. But we, we beat up on, on the... Uh, on the Dick's food enough. So yeah, it's a great venue. It's also, um, for those parking is, um, a little, I wouldn't say expensive. It's like $10, but you know, if you're anywhere near the light rail in Denver, take the light rail. It's just a wonderful thing to take the light rail to DU and then walk to the game. It's a, it's a really great campus to walk across too. So, um, highly recommended, uh, go Rapidos hit, hit it up with those Cobras. The Colorado Rapids are a wonderful soccer team that are covered by HTHL. HTHL is covered by uh, Icarus FC and Roughneck Scars. Icarus FC does a really great job of putting together the dream drip kit that you've always wanted. Matt, the other day we had the Oscars and I was watching and I was thinking to myself, like, you know what celebrities like to do? They like to put on like a really, really audacious, gaudy colorful fantastic amazing sports uniform at like concerts and stuff and i thought like dude you could have a band just do a really cool um you know bespoke uh you know kit 
just for their concerts um that would be done by acres fc they could they could make it like from start to finish um just some really fun and cool designs and you can kind of really customize and do whatever you want roughneck scars makes the same customizable style but for your neck warm stuff silk stuff whatever you want matt tell them how to hit us on the socials on our email and find our written content Highliners, follow us individually on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi and at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out our written content collectively at Pittsburgh Soccer Now, lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer, and our substack holding the highline.substack.com. You can pay to become a supporting Highliner for us there, five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year. You can also send us some cash at our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash rapids 96 podcast or get a really good deal with us with our partnership with the denver post at denverpost.com backslash hthl uh happy trails to dan boniface mark who right before we hit the record button um is leaving the denver post uh he was fantastic with them and dan i really look forward to whatever it is you're doing next whether it's in news media sports related or otherwise hopefully there's some soccer in there if nothing else um you know you and i can tweet at each other and dm uh, about the rapids and of course hurricane football uh, and then also, folks, get at us on the socials at Rapids96Podcast. Send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL or email us at Rapids96Podcast at gmail.com. Listeners, hopefully, Mark, and maybe somebody else will see you next week. But if nothing else, we'll be back with me fully jet lag after what is hopefully three wins in a row after the Minnesota United home match. Please. <laughs>